Welcome to the Cyber Guy Podcast, your source for engaging cyber education, cyber discussions, and a look at current cyber news and trends with retired FBI Special Agent Darren Mott. Hello, friends. Welcome to this episode of the Cyber Guy Podcast. I am your host, retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent Darren Mott. And in this episode, we are going to talk to a fellow retired FBI Special Agent, John Carruthers, who is the virtual CISO and the team lead for that group for a company called Trident Group, no T at the end. And we will talk to him in just a little bit. But I did want to take uh, the first part of this podcast to uh, thank you all who have stuck around and, and, and continue to listen and download the podcast, even though I have been very, very inconsistent in trying to get these episodes out. And so I do apologize for that. But again, I appreciate those of you who have stuck around and continue to listen when I do put these out. So I'm going to, I'm trying to make a concerted effort, honestly, to do a better job being more consistent with my publishing of the podcast. So hopefully um, you will see uh, more regular base, more regular uh, output from me going forward. I'm trying to work through a couple things to get some folks to come on and do interviews and things like that. Um, and one other thing I wanted to note is if you're, I'm sure many of you are aware, I had a second podcast called Get Cyber Smart that was a seven to 10 minute educational look into different cyber topics kind of as an educational piece. And I'll be honest with you, um, I tried that for about a year. It really didn't take off as well as I'd hoped. So what I'm going to do to kind of help me get some time back during the weeks and stuff is I'm going to incorporate a cyber smart piece to this podcast. It'll kind of be the last thing after I do an interview. If you wanted to stick around, I'll do a quick cyber smart, um, uh, piece of episode as part of the cyber guy podcast you kind of get two podcasts for one if you will um the cyber smart uh, topic i'm going to talk about this week will come as no surprise going to be tiktok again the ceo of tiktok was uh, in front of congress on wednesday uh and so the get the, the get cyber smart piece of that is going to understand what did is going to be what does that mean what is congress trying to do with tiktok and where do we think it's going and why you should probably delete TikTok from your device and all of your family members device. But that's a, that is a, the topic we will have at the end. I'm not going to do any uh, news stories this week because I want to get right into my interview with John Carruthers. So let's go right there for that. So it's my honor to have on the podcast, a fellow retired FBI supervisory special agent, the current executive vice president, CISO and senior business lead for Trident Group and an overall good guy, John Carruthers, coming to us from South Carolina. John, thanks so much for taking the time to jump on here with me. Thank you, Darren. It's good to be here. Yep. So long time in the long time coming. We're both both headquarters. Early, early cyber division headquarter refugees, I guess, is the way I usually tout it for like what I did Denise Steeman like and Don and yeah. stuff like that. So I like that. Escapees. Right? right. We survived and somehow never accelerated much past the GS-15 stage <laughs> for some reason. So. That's true. <laughs> so true. I don't think I made 15, but yeah, that's 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 well said. So let's start with your career arc. Um, what did you do before the Bureau? Um, and what made you want to switch to it? And then like, where was your first office? And then we'll kind of yeah, dive into that yeah. a little bit. Kind of a fun story. Um, so I was the child uh, of an FBI employee back at uh, FBI headquarters. Um, the size, the short sleeve dress shirts, you know, the works, right? You know, government employee uh, working in D.C. And I swore that I would never be a government worker, right? Watch mm-hmm. my dad, you know, dress like that and go to work all those years. So then I had uh, one year uh, out of college at Toys R Us, right? Yep. Uh, so c- combine that with a matured outlook, and I found myself applying for the FBI <laughs> okay. as a uh, 
Yeah, as a computer specialist. So non-agent position, uh, computer specialist, which back in the 90s, you know, that was um, kind of like yesterday's technology tomorrow was the FBI's IT mantra, yep. I believe. <clears throat> so um, I did that. I got accepted. And I did that for seven years, uh, both at, uh, at FBI headquarters and in the San Diego field office. Okay. And so working in San Diego and, and, and being able to work with those agents, I, I, I learned, you know, that I, that I wanted that satisfaction that I was seeing them get on the daily, um, you know, to feel like you're not only helping people and victims, but protecting the country, kind of a cool deal, mm -hmm. um, as you know. And so in 99, uh, 1999, I applied or got accepted to the, uh, to, to the, the agent class, you know, went to the FBI Academy and became an agent. So then I worked. Oh, real quick, real, real quick. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Real yeah. quick. What, yeah, what, uh, ahead. what agent class? Um, 9911. Okay. I was 9919. Yeah. I was the last, okay. I was the right. last, right. the last class yep. of the nineties. Okay. Yep. I got you by eight, eight yep. classes. I believe if my yes. math is correct. 16 weeks. That's awesome. Yep. The last one of the nineties. Good. That's, that's a good one to hang your hat on. Yeah. So, you know, uh, ended up, you know, working drug cartels, white collar crime, uh, crimes against children, which probably the most satisfying work right. of my. So they really utilize. They really utilize your your cyber your cyber background they did, as, they a, as a cyber they finally, specialist. They finally got back to it and put me on the cyber squad. But you know, I think we'll probably talk about. I would assume, you know, just the FBI's approach to cyber in the early two thousands. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a hard. Uh, it was just trying to fit that square peg in a round hole at the time. But yeah. So did that, did San Diego have a dedicated cyber, did it Nipsey squad? I guess I should say a Nipsey squad. Yeah. Good. Yes. I like that. Um, they did, they did. They were one of the first. Um, yeah. So it was one squad and, you know, working a lot of like web page defacements and the script kitty type stuff. Right. Uh -huh. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was one squad. A good friend of mine was the supervisor and, uh, yeah, and I found my way back there around a couple of years after 9-11. Awesome. So did, so was one of your first, so going through that, you probably had calls like, um, you know, obviously botnets were kind of big at the time. And mm -hmm. did you, was, was your first, so doing webpage defacements, was the first website you'd go to every day, attrition.org, just to see who got hit overnight? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Remember that? Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So how long did you stay in San Diego? Cause we met in 2007 at headquarters. So you was it. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. So I was in San Diego, the majority of my career with a lot of assignments, you know, kind of out there, mm -hmm. uh, to include the one in uh, FBI headquarters at cyber division where you and I met. Uh, so yeah, 2006, I went to HQ and, um, yeah, was doing, uh, doing the good work of the cyber division. Uh, for for eighteen months, yes, and uh, yeah, but it was the latter half of that that you and I yeah. crossed paths. So, did you stay for the whole eighteen? I mean, obviously, you did, but did you expand? Did you extend? Cause a lot of people extended and did all that kind of no, stuff with a stick around. You got out as soon as you could. Huh? Yeah, same here. Come on, brother. I was uh, working in San Diego. Oh yeah, it's true. Fair. So, fair. Yeah. Fair. No, there, there was. I I could not get back quick enough, even though right. I really enjoyed the work. And uh, you know, I still tell the story. You know, remember. Um, was he AD or maybe DAD, but you know, Sean, he was a D DAD. Yeah. And then he became AD, but yeah. yeah. So he was, uh, he, he was, AD, but yeah, Finch's yep. so Finch's we DAD. There. Yeah. Yep. So as I was leaving, 
you know, we we're kind of having that exit interview. Sean was doing, we, you know, he was doing the whole, you know, emotional pitch, you know, we need you to stay. The country needs you to stay in cyber division. Don't leave. Don't go back. And I said, Sean, I really appreciate that. But you know what? San Diego really needs me. And, and I need to be in San Diego. <laughs> and so we just kind of laugh and still laugh about that. But, yeah. So did you go back? You didn't go back to San Diego as a supervisor though, right? Did that come later? No, no. Yep. That came later. Yep. So what, what <laughs> made you, you want to get it? What made you want to get into So I, I don't know about you, but like when I first went in the bureau, I was like, probably most people are, I'm never going to the manager. Screw that. I am not yeah. going to DC. Yeah. I'm not going to management. Then of course they 100%. did, they did the 18 month TDY, which is like, why would you not go and just eat yeah. it for a year and a half and yeah. get all the bonuses and all that kind of stuff. So you got, so you must've got into it. If you went in 26 under the good program, the good part of the 18 month program before the SAC of San Antonio screwed it. It changed halfway. Yep. So, um, yeah, I mean, you remember the model, you know, I was, you were basically getting a flat fee, mm -hmm. you know, here, here I am, you know, opening the Kimona here on your podcast. But <laughs> that's all, that's you, all we do here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it was flat fee. You were going to get paid this much money, no matter where you lived. If you wanted to live on the, on the curb, mm -hmm. you were going to get all of it. Right. Yep. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, I was doing that for about half of the assignment I was getting, you know, the full, the full fare, but living in a, like a studio apartment, right. Sure. And, you know, yep. pocketing, you know, an amazing amount, um, for the difference. But, um, you know, then I believe I was at a conference in Vegas when, when all that thing was, all that was going down mm -hmm. that you just referred to with San Antonio. And so the FBI had to get together like a representative from like an 18 month TD wire from each division had to get together like every two weeks to discuss how are we going to get out of this? Right. And we're all in the meetings. Like we don't want to get out of this. What are you talking about? Right. Um, so I was at a conference in Las Vegas, I think when they were polling cyber division and they said, Carruthers, he's going to be the guy when he gets back, he's going to be the representative. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, the wrong time to be out of the office, but yeah. Um, so yeah, we were having those meetings. People were, you know, getting very upset, you know, you're kind of taking away, you know, kind of what we had signed up for the whole right. bait and switch. But anyway, it was at the end of the day, it was, I'll, I'll never complain. I mean, really about anything in my bureau career. It was just an amazing, mm -hmm. an amazing experience all the way around. Did you go back to headquarters ever again? Or was it, did you stay in San I Diego did. the rest of the time? Did you? Okay. I did. Mm -hmm. I did. Talk I about that. A little bit. What was that? Yeah. Yeah. So I went back in, so I, yeah, it was 06, 07. Then I went back to San Diego. Right. Um, and then it was a couple of years later, they dangled the carrot of the, uh, the cyber liaison position overseas. If you recall that. Yes. So we're going to pilot this program. We're going to pick four offices from around the globe that we're going to put a cyber agent, you know, in the office for one year and we're going to see how it goes, but you're going to work directly with that, with that country's essentially FBI counterpart. And so they dangled that to me. They called me in San Diego and they said, we want you to be a part of this pilot program. I'm like, well, geez, you know, it's, it's flattering. Um, what are the countries? <laughs> so it was, uh, <laughs> and if, and if you recall, I know, you know, I know, you know, the script here, but it was, um, you know, Romania, uh -huh. not bad, not bad. Uh, Ukraine, interesting, uh, Estonia and the Netherlands. And so I'm like, 
I'm, you know, I'm no dummy. Like, do I get, do I get a pick? Right. Like, yeah, you get first pick. Nice. I'll take the Netherlands. <laughs> absolutely. So, uh, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, Dutch, here I go. So, uh, yeah, I did it, you know, and, you know, the, the catch, right. The hook for that was when you're done with your one year, you're going to be permanently assigned to headquarters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in IOD or in cyber division? Cyber. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of a collab. It was a collab with, um, with IOD, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It was a tremendous experience. Um, probably the, for me personally, one of the more enjoyable experiences of my, of my whole FBI career. But from a pride perspective, it really worked. You know, and I think if you look now, and I know you stay in touch as well, but, you know, we've got cyber agents around the planet. Yep. You know, around the globe as a result of the the success of that pilot program. So, you know, I do take a certain amount of pride in the fact that that went so well. So, sure. Did they give you like a coin or a pin or something? You were the first cyber ALAT? That would, that's a good idea. And were you, really did idea. you get the ALAT designation or were you just a cyber liaison? Did you get a full ALAT status? You know, I was, you know, funny enough, I was out there with my good friend um, who was the ALAT or was the league at Tim Wallach. Tim, yes. Tim. And so remember Tim? Yeah, he, he helped me. And yeah. so me and Todd Berryman had a case where we had to deal with him yeah. going back and forth over there okay. for a couple of things. Yep. Yeah. So Tim's yep. a good dude. Won't come on so, the podcast because so Amazon won't let him. But other than that, he's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I had known Tim for for many years and so he kind of made me which kind of enhanced the experience on the days when i would go to the embassy i was essentially the alat mm. and oftentimes the league at because he was flying all, flying all over the world you know having his own fun but um yeah so i think i think it was cyber alat just to get to the bottom quickly answer your question yeah or not not so quickly so going back to 2007 so it wasn't big at the time, but obviously it's big now. The NCIJTF, National Cyber Investigative yeah. Joint Task Force. You were part of the group that ended up being the how do we the embryo for the NCIJTF. Yeah. So how did that come up? Yeah. Was that just because I think kind of the, those wheels were Dallas. yeah those wheels were kind of moving when I got there because there were two yeah. there were two units there were two cyber units and so yours became yep. NCIJTF and then ours became a host of some other things. But how did that all come to be? How, what were the discussions around that? Was, was there an executive order? Am I thinking of an executive order or was, or did the executive order you know, come there, afterwards there, with it I mean, in there? There might've been, you know, my, my recollection is probably a lot more casual and informal, you mm-hmm. know, um, again, kind of like getting, you know, assigned to this working group when I was out of town, but sort of similar. So, you know, at the time, right, in the mid-2000s, you know, cyber was kind of blowing up across the landscape. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was becoming a thing, like we talked earlier, right, like the script kitties and the web page defacements were no longer getting the attention. It was, we, right. we, had, we had grown beyond that. Um, and so the nation state threat was definitely, you know, kind of at the forefront of the sophistication. And I think the powers that be recognized that. And they also looked across the aisle and saw the, you know, post 9-11 JTTF model, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and how that was working in all 56 field offices and across the, you know, once again, across the landscape. And I think it was as much as, you know, huh, you know, I think it's time that we model something like that for cyber. And, and as I recall, you know, they would send me over to 
the CT division to like just sit in on the meetings just to figure out, you know, what are they talking about? You know, right. What what agencies are in the room? Who's part of these convers who's part of this conversation? And things just organically grew from there. But as far as an executive order, I, I, I don't know. There might have been. I think, remember, there was something that might have came. I think it was in an executive order that came afterwards. So it was created, and then they threw it in an executive order yeah. to kind of codify it so that all these entities would work with yeah. it. But how no, did you find... Totally makes sense. How did you find the other organization's willingness to participate as it was brought up? Because obviously, it's going to be one of those things where the Bureau was going to lead it, clearly. Because right. um, right. we, we had the mandate, obviously. Um, and so right. how did other organizations take that? I'm sure the CIA had thoughts and the NSA had thoughts. They're probably the smaller ones that were like, oh, just course. happy to be a part of it. Right. But those two were like, oh, hey, yeah, we're going to lead this part of it. Yeah. Oh, oh you're finally here, right? <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> where have you been? Um, yeah. You know, I think just like anything, somewhat of a territorial food fight, you know, is always going to ensue. Um, but, you know, I think we've it, the, the well-documented pivot and correction that took place after 9-11 and all of the mm -hmm. collaboration that needed to come from that, I think definitely bled over into the cyber arena but you know i think the you know from a from an agency collaboration point of view the big one at for me at that time was with the service sure right on, on the criminal front yeah um you know that was a lot of there was certainly a lot of territorial spatting i should say right um but, you know, that's gotten a lot better with their task force model and kind of, you know, everybody's playing well in the sandbox, you know, when you fast forward 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. But at the time it was it was difficult trying to figure out what are you guys doing here? You know, like, hey, that's my case. No, that's my, you know, this whole deal. Again, and how did you find, um, how, like, what were the hurdles that the Bureau had to come over to kind of get that rolling? Because you guys had, you guys actually moved out from downtown because we'd mm -hmm. ultimately, were you even part of the Patriot Plaza move when we moved from the, from the fifth floor of Hoover to Patriot Plaza? Were you guys, I think you guys that were already was gone. Happening right, that was happening right when I was leaving. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So I was, my whole time was uh, at headquarters. And then my second tenure, the one that was after the Netherlands, that was all Patriots Plaza. Oh, not even Chantilly. No, oh, I mean I would go to Chantilly. Sure. Yeah, I would go yeah. out there a fair amount just to, once again, build bridges between cyber criminal and mm -hmm. cyber national security. Right. Right. But um, yeah, the, the whole Patriots Plaza that happened like that was in the works when I was leaving to go back to San Diego. So after okay, so you got so you went back to headquarters, and I assume as you were sitting after your league at piece you're sitting in cyber divisions okay i got to get back to san diego now right so how yeah. so so as we know as we know as the, maybe listeners don't know it takes there are only 56 cyber supervisor spots at the bureau there may be a couple more because new york and washington and la have sure, multiple sure. spots yeah, but let's just let's just say 56 right. for the sake of argument um i like it the good thing is and it's probably still true today there's just not a lot of cyber focused agents with the skill sets and even back yeah. then. So, so yeah. I assume you were waiting for the San Diego desk to come open. Who had it and who are you waiting for to get out? <laughs> Good question. Um, so San Diego was one of those offices with now two cyber squads. Mm -hmm. uh, they had a cyber criminal, which is the one that I was used to, uh, used to working. And then they had the cyber national security. And much like earlier in my life, when I said, I'll never be a government worker, when I was on the cyber criminal squad, financially motivated, I was saying I'll never work for national security cyber. Right. Right. Yep. Sure. 
<clears throat> but Bruce Barron, to answer your question. Ah, uh, yes, Bruce. Uh, yep, yep, <laughs> good friend of mine, uh, Bruce, long retired, long since retired. He stood up the Cyber National Security Squad in San Diego and was coming to the end of his tenure, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so he was the one that left, that created the opening, so I put in for it and applied, and of course, all these great, you know, resume line items, you know, yes. in my past sure. certainly helped. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it's like getting thrown back in the briar patch. And so, were, you, were you able to ride it out to the end, that position? I to was. The end? Yeah. I was one of those blessed ones, Darren, where um, my seventh year was the year that I was eligible to retire. Very nice. Very nice. So, yeah, it worked, it worked out perfect. So, and we, so you were the you were the national cyber, national security supervisor, clearly. Right. I was. Yeah. yeah. So, so you must have worked a lot with the defense industry there, the mm-hmm. defense industrial base. I what did, did you I find? Did. So I would like to think, yeah. and I'm probably wrong, but I'd like to think that in San Diego, they're a little more, they're, they're, the, the base there is fairly educated. I mean, they're mm-hmm. still a ways away from Silicon Valley, but kind of you're in the same area code, right? Or same yeah. Not, yeah. time zone. Same coast. Same time right. zone, right? right. So, right. so how did you find yeah. their cyber in general, their cyber hygiene, their cyber capability, their cyber understanding, or, or was it every time you would go to say, hey, we've got this information, is it, it looks like it's yours, and they'd be like, ooh, didn't know we had that, how'd that happen? Yeah, so I think it, I, you know, I think this warrants a little bit of a, a, a level set on what the San Diego DIB sure. is. Yeah. So in San Diego, sure, absolutely, 500 plus um, clear defense contractors. I would say 80, 80% were the mom and pop. Right. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they were making the widgets that were going to be put on the battleship and, and on and on. We did have some, uh, some of the big boys like general atomics, um, you know, NASCO, uh, Boeing, Lockheed, all the, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. All that. Right. So, yeah. So your assessment would be correct for that, that 20%. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were used to the, Used to the model, right? right? They were used to having us knock on the front door and, you know, showing them some IP that we have. And, you know, actually we would have dedicated personnel to engage us when those times arose, if you know what I mean. Yep. The the mom and pop would be, you know, it was like reinventing the wheel every time we would go out. Sure. Um, you know, and kind of coming up with um, different innovative and articulate ways to, you know, broach the, the conversation and, you know, then it would quickly evolve or devolve into an education on cybersecurity with, you know, this company that had no clue, mm-hmm. like nothing was in-house. Right. So we would, right. we would deal with that a lot. Now I did partner a lot with DSS. Um, so they have now, what are they now? DCSA. Right. They were DSS, Diplomatic. Security Service. Defense the, Defense Security Service. That, there you go. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Now they're the Defense Counterintelligence Security Agency. I see why you're the host. <laughs> this is all making, all making sense now. Um, so, yeah, they would, uh, they would accompany me quite a bit. Or they would call me. I had a really good relationship with DSS. Mm-hmm. So they were typically the first call. For a lot of CDCs, right? right. A lot, sure. Of, like, they have to be. They're, a, they're mandated to be. Exactly. There yeah. was a mandate that they <laughs> call DSS, and so we had a really good relationship and a partnership where, um, 
you know, symbiotic, right? Where they would call me almost immediately. Hey, I just got this call. Do you mind if, you know, then I would take the case and then they would check the box and they've done their diligence and off to the races we go. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting time, but, um, you know, nobody, Darren, I mean, you, you know this, right? Nobody doesn't matter if you're in the dib, if you're, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, in in some agnostic, you know, sector out in the private, you know, in industry, uh, nobody is doing exactly what they should be doing, or you know, could be doing, and for different reasons. And I say, I say, the thing that frustrated me the most here, so in Huntsville, so I came down as the counterintelligence supervisor, but I did a lot of cyber stuff just because I had that cyber background. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we're kind of blending that stuff yep. together with small office. Yep. So I would do a lot of outreach, tons of outreach to the Dib community here, and every time, it was like I was telling them something they never heard before. And all I'm saying yeah. is China's bad. China's here's why China's bad. Yeah. Here's why you worry about Russia. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then the the the, the big refrain, the refrain is, ah, we don't have anything anybody would want. I hate. I avoided. I yep. sick yep. of hearing that yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Why would they target us? Right. Right. So how did you proactively deal with that when you got out there and realized you probably knew it already? Because I'm sure being from a, a San Diego boy, you knew all that kind of stuff. So how did you did you, what proactive measures did you take to try to educate those mom and pops so that they wouldn't become a victim? And were they receptive to it, I guess, is even a better question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's a good one. Um, so, yeah, multi-pronged approach um, that I that I still apply today whenever I'm doing security awareness or any mm -hmm. kind of training or, you know, just general education. What I'm telling you today is going to benefit you at home and at work. Right. Right. And so once I would – once I could get that hook – you know, hey, this is why we need to pay attention to what I'm saying to you today. Plus, you know, the badge always helps. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it yes. Certainly throws some legitimacy to the uh, uh, to what you're telling them. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's a lot. I think that conversation actually is probably a lot easier today mm -hmm. with a lot of the supply chain and third party risk conversation that's happening, you know, both above the fold and, and kind of out there in the community. Back then, I would attempt that. To varying levels or degrees of success where I would explain it might not, they might not be targeting you specifically, but you're going to get caught in the blast radius, right? Or you might have already been caught in the blast radius of somebody getting targeted within your ecosystem. And then let's talk about, and we always try to monetize it. I, I think that's the, at the end of the day, how do you monetize security? Right. All, is always the challenge with any, any messaging, any interviewing tactic for for me now and i would say if i were to go back and be a cyber agent that's probably an attack that i would take is let's monetize this threat for you so that you give it the proper attention that it deserves right i mean i used to talk a lot about if you you know and i would say this in presentations and people i never really paid off it seems like but it's like the average cost of a data breach is 2.9 million whenever at the time i say it's probably 4.6 now or something but yeah. the cost for security awareness training that you do on a regular basis not the once a year here's here's your powerpoint click through it sign the sheet mm -hmm. at the end and send it to hr and you're good to go something that's yep. more periodic you know every month some focus maybe cost you yeah 50,000 if you got a really good one. I don't know what no before yeah. charges, but I'm sure it's expensive, but it's not 4.6 yeah. billion million dollars. Yep. They can't make yep. that they can't make that can't make that jump for some reason. And part of it I think they can't make and, the connection. I no. think part of it cuz cyber is a loss leader for any business. You're not making money of it unless you're in cyber cyber right. business, but right. for every company it's you're an, you're, it's an inhibitor, right? Sure. It's not mm -hmm. an accelerator. Yep. Um but you know like like the, the, those numbers that we throw out like you just threw out the 3.9 um I think it's hard for people to 
to really grasp that. Like, what does that mean? Like, right. Like line item, that number, you know, yep. is that recovery? Is that, you know, victim notification? Is that, you know, restoration? Like, is that bringing in a third party from your insurance? You know, so I think that's difficult. And I think along those same lines, 3.9 or any, anytime we start talking about the cost of a breach, it starts sounding a little bit like FUD. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, stands for? The, the fear, uncertainty, oh, yep. and doubt. Gotcha. And, and so that was something I always stayed away from when I was in the Bureau because I think they were expecting that right. from, an FBI, from the FBI. Uh-huh. Oh, they're going to just come in here and scare us to death. Yep. But, but I, I, I took almost the anti-approach, and I think that ultimately worked in the end, right? Because it mm-hmm. built trust. It built, oh, okay, so John's actually going to come in here and help us. He's not going to scare us. He's going to he's going to empathize. Right. You know, mm-hmm. to a degree. So, yeah, you know, that's, yeah, that's great. Techniques. And there's going to be a little fear in it anyway, but if you can there at least is, turn it around is. a little it's bit, already, so it's, yeah, it, it's already there. We don't need to magnify it. <laughs> right, exactly. need to put a right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as you approach retirement, how did you work towards your transition coming out? So obviously as we all, especially like in this day and age, I got to think guys are getting to 20 years, like, okay, how quickly can I get out of this? So where, right, did right. you have to go? How long did you have to go? Did you have to go 20 plus because of your age? You no, know, I, um, so I became an agent at 31. Okay. So I, I actually had to wait a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not, not past 20, but after 50. Yeah. And so for those that don't know to, to retire as an FBI agent, you have to be 50 or 50 years old plus have done 20 years, you know, 20 years of service. Mm-hmm. So those that become an agent at 37, yeah, they can't retire until they're 57. Right. <clears throat> Just over here doing math, Darren. Um, <laughs> I, I told so, you at the beginning there'd be no math, but I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I just just took it on myself. Um, yeah, so 51, um, I was eligible in May of, of my 51st year on earth, whatever, 52nd. Um, what I did... You know, I, I had collected quite a few mentors, both inside the bureau and external. And I, you know, I took a lot of advice and I started working like a year before my eligibility on Mm -hmm. just talking to people, you know, people that I'd I'd already built a relationship with through all these previous engagements that, that you and I have been talking about just here, um, you know, whether you know, with my victim companies or, you know, I had joined uh, a lot of what I call peer self-help groups in the cyber security community, right? It's a very incestuous community as yeah. it is. Everybody uh-huh. knows everybody and San Diego was no different. And so I had joined, you know, some CISO roundtables and things like that. But um, so I had to wait. So like I said, I was eligible in May and I, I pulled the plug in September the end of September and yeah. And we must've, we must've retired at about the same time. Cause I, I think I, my last day in my last day in pay period was September 28th, 19 oh. or 2019. Okay. Yeah. Mine was 20. Yeah. September so you, 20th. a week before. Yeah. yeah. So you, I made it one, uh, yeah. One more week. That's, that's funny. So, um, so let's talk now about Trident group. Um, what is it you guys do? How do you serve your clients? What's your, what do we do? What do you do in the, what do you do in the space? That's a great question. Still trying to figure it out. No, not really. Um, so Trident Group, small San Diego company, uh, about 40 to 45 uh, full-time employees. So we're uh, 
small, young, agile. And before I joined the company, which was last summer in August, uh, they were already really good, right? We, I should say, were already really good at like network engineering, cloud migration, um, pen testing, uh, vulnerability management, things like that that really weren't deep dive security topics. Mm-hmm. And they realized what they were missing was security leadership. You know, they, they really wanted to kind of uh, to dive into VCSO. Mm-hmm. virtual CISO space. You mean as far you mean as far as offering that as a service, right? That's what yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, gotcha. A service offering. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. You know, kind of let's you know, let's provide even more, you know, white glove service to our clientele. Mm-hmm. Um and, and and at the end of the day get more sticky. So through a mutual friend, I met with the the partners and funny enough, it's so we're a private company, three partners, and uh, I met the CEO and that was that was a really good recruiting process, right? We had two or three discussions. We really got along. He he liked my vision. I liked his style, and he said, "I want to introduce you to the two partners, you know, before we make the final decision." But I think we're, you know, really excited to move forward. So, met the two partners, and it turned out that they were. I had worked with both of them while I was in the FBI. Nice. Um, in public speaking settings. Okay. Like one of them, I spoke to, you know, I spoke to an all hands like meeting for his company to talk about cybersecurity. So he, he still talks about that today. <laughs> like, you know, that was so good. The employees loved it. It was great. And having the FBI there, it's awesome. And then the other one, I was on a panel. It's like, Oh my God, guys, I didn't know that you were you know part of this part of trading group. Anyway, bottom line, it really, it was great. So joined the company. Um, and, from from that day until present day, I've just been doing nothing but building and delivering um, virtual CISO um, offerings, right? And trying to really, you know, what I tell the company all the time now is that I'm trying to get us from essentially playing checkers and getting us into the chess environment. Like, how can we differentiate, innovate <clears throat> a pretty common offering, which is VCSO? Everybody's doing it, right? Everybody's pretty much doing the same things, but what can we parse out? What can I identify as standalone services that fall under the VCSO umbrella, but can we maybe, you know, how can we commoditize and make that like a subscription service, mm. you know, like tabletop exercises, for example, how many times does a company bring, you know, bring you in to do a tabletop exercise and then that's it. We're done. Right. I want to make that a subscription service, right? We're going to do four a year. The first three are going to be on specific threats that we've identified through a risk register. And then the fourth every year is going to be for executive leadership, right? Yeah. You know, it's something, you know, and I think you can do that with just about everything, right? You know, whether it's assessments, readiness, compliance, privacy, you know, like I said, incident response and, thread into i mean there are so many different ways to help companies and 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 make it reasonable and reasonably affordable for them right you know so when you get in that subscription model i think that really starts accomplishing that goal and how do you find but companies yeah. willingness to do the virtual ciso are you find it's more common now more people want to use I it do. and do you and yeah, when you I how do. many times when you offer it are they like i didn't know this existed or is it more? Or is it more? Uh, there's more awareness to it now that's an option for them. And I think there's a lot more awareness. I think um, 
you know, I think that now that security is getting, I think it's a safe statement to say that it's getting more and more board level attention. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, yeah, well, let me, let me just tell you too, like who the, the kind of the demographic that we deal with, you know, that we typically engage, you know, we all use the, the term small, medium and large, right? right. So mm-hmm. like SMB, small, medium sized businesses. I prefer to look at it more like how is their security being handled? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm looking at it from a resourcing point of view. So I feel like you have three tiers, right? So the first is the company has no clue um, about security. Everything is either outsourced or they got the IT guy handling it. Right. Right. You've seen that. That's a bad, that's, that, that's a bad look. I can do a lot of good in that company. Um, second one would be they know enough that they have to dedicate some level of resourcing to the issue, but it's going to be the CIO and maybe the director of infrastructure. Right. But still no CISO. Um, so that's the second. And then the third is going to be a more mature, you know, like a, the Qualcomm, like in my world, the Qualcomms who have a mature cybersecurity program. They have a CISO. They probably have a deputy CISO, all that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, those guys are going to be able to go in and do specific services. You know, like they might need a tabletop exercise from an external party or they might need some kind of a readiness assessment to get ready for SOC 2, you know, just something to that mm-hmm. effect. But it's the first two, first two that, that you know, I feel are, are kind of like a sweet spot for virtual CISO. So are you the virtual CISO for all of them? Or are you just, you oversee the, that program? I am, you know, that's, okay. that's where I'm dying. And <laughs> I, um, you know, we're getting to the point and I'm, I'm telling, I'm telling my guys, I'm telling these, these, these partners, my, my supposed friends, I'm like, I need resources. Um, you know, it's kind of like you, if you build it, they will come. But, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm building. And that actually drives me into another question. So how yeah. are you, fi- the biggest issue, obviously in cybersecurity, cause we're having the same problem, just getting cyber analysts to do sock stuff mm-hmm. and pen testing yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. How are you yeah. finding, I assume you're finding that same issue, trying to find, I mean, you can find people who just graduated college who take anything that you throw at them all yeah. day long. But as far mm-hmm. as finding that experienced person, what are you what are you having to offer to them to get them to come to you? Well, that's if um, Chat GPT can't solve the problem <laughs> first. You know? Right? Are you paying for four point I'm paying for four because it's so awesome. I I'm thinking about it. Is it really cool? Yeah, I mean, a lot of my like a lot of my I do some blog posting and stuff for uh, yeah, some, yeah some guys I'm working on a startup with and and um Great. and so I use it to 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 drive I know what I want to say I just don't feel like yeah. writing it so so I know what I want to ask yeah. it'll write it for me and then I can kind of change what nope. I need to nope. so I sent one to a I sent one to a friend of mine said hey here's here's my thoughts on this what do you think and he took it put it in Chat GTP and it told him that I took it from Chat GPT so but Did it really <laughs> yeah he goes yeah Chat GPT said yeah I wrote that. Oh, no, yeah, that's all, all right. right. It's all right, though. Good to know. That's, that's a takeaway. It's a takeaway from this call for sure. But I've done other stuff um, where I've changed it enough that they, it doesn't detect yeah, it. So there's yeah, a- exactly, exactly. But yeah, no, it's um, you know, I think through, yeah, it's just finding, it's building the need and then trying to fill it to your point. And how do we do that? Um, you know, I, I had a conversation today where I was like, look, just give me kind of almost like an entry level resource that's eager and, and thirsty to, to dive into security. I'll provide the oversight, right. you know, give me somewhat of a tabular rasa. I, 
you know, yeah, that's clean, clean slate for those that don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, just give me and, and I'll build it just, you know, like I, like I am the program, but yeah, it's tough. It is. Um, but my gosh, what a great field to get, to get into, you know, I'm, I'm now finding myself mentoring a lot of my friends' kids. Oh, really? Who want nice. To get into the F- yeah. yeah. Who want to get into the FBI? Oh yeah, I get that all the time. And, uh, How do I get the FBI? Right, right. Well, let's talk. <laughs> yeah. Um, Better start running. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, computer science and cyber, and I mean, computer, you know, cybersecurity. Um, you know, I'm on a on a, a few different university boards that are that are focused on cybersecurity and trying to build that. The education curriculum and it's mm-hmm. it's really interesting i mean it's uh do you find that with the virtual ciso stuff that like if you like the stuff you created for the first so the first company that came on board with that were you able to use that template what you that you created for their 100%. policy and just okay yeah transfer but it i'm to a tinkerer group. man I, sure I tinker. you have to tinker so though. yeah i love tinkering i love building templates i love creating a model and then perfecting it or getting mm-hmm. you know what i feel like closer to perfection um so yeah 100 percent. great question you know if my my clients today and, and i'll even go back i'm still with that first client mm-hmm. you know so i'll i'll try them out yeah, i'll try some of my product you know because i've built the, the relationship and the trust that i can throw at them hey what do you think about this i'm thinking about this for like a good risk register template you know would you want you know, existing mitigations listed, or do we have that in some other document or should we include, you know, that, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, everything from kickoff deck to statement of work to the actual deliverables to, yeah. And do they all get I, standard I, amount of time per week or is it, is it different? You have different levels of how you can get five hours a week or 10 hours a week. Cause yeah, I gotta, they, cause it, you yeah, only have so it, many hours you can use. So, so in, gotta, theory, yeah. in theory, Darren, they should, and they, uh, that's, that's what's agreed upon, but, you know, I tend to, you know, once I get going, I tend to spend, you know, more time. And, sure. You know, You're used to the 10 hour days. I get it. You're used to, just get it. to get my it. wife's uh, chagrin. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah. But so, you're working remote. So that's good. good. Deal. You get to work remote. It's a good deal. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I got to ask this question. Tell me about what your thoughts on TikTok. That's my, ah. that's my, uh, my TikTok. soapbox is TikTok. So I ask, pretty much yeah. ask everybody now, where are you staying on TikTok? I mean, you know, like I was telling one of the parents at my at my kid's school because of course right we get we mm-hmm. you get those questions too um i i feel like i have a built into my dna responsibility to you know speak out against it i mean we know that absolutely data is being collected personal data um yeah it's uh i i personally don't use it Mm-hmm. It's also oftentimes how I start and end the conversation. Sure. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I've never had it. I don't yeah. have it. I mean, if I wanted to really um, do that, I, there's plenty of, there's plenty of us based option that'll, that'll, that'll yeah. misabuse my personal information that at least I can sue if I get pissed. So there's that. Right. Right. I mean, you know, like our, our good friend, Scott, you know, he mm-hmm. talks about, um, you know, and he caters a lot, really caters well to the end user and, but also to small companies and, you know, he and I have had this conversation where if you're going to look at a security tool, you know, really kind of dive in on the supply chain aspect. And if we can, well, yeah, and if we can model, and I'll get into this in a second, but, you know, China's global independence model, but kind of in a, in a similar vein for us as Americans, yeah, go American made if we can. 
Right. You know, unless it's going to put us at a great disadvantage. And, and the irony is with TikTok and Huawei um, and any any number of, you know, Chinese-based um, product, I mean, look at what China has been doing for for years, and they're very overt about it, right? The the Made in China 2025 initiative, for example, um, where they're looking to, they're seeking global independence. And I think, I applaud that effort, by the way, right? I wish we could do that. And that's kind of what we're talking about here with, mm-hmm. with, yeah. with you know, look, looking at alternatives. But yeah, China has been aggressively pursuing that model for years, you know, with, with the goal of having no reliance on any outside influence smart yeah you know it's not not, i I, you know i think for a a variety of reasons the fact that we live in a free democracy it's difficult for us right (laughs) um but but you know on paper i think that's not a bad not a bad goal but yeah, I just um, I don't. I mean, what what do you, give well, me give me a good talking point? Like, well, what so are you telling so so, so my big my so my big issue is obviously it's a collection platform. It's obviously facial recognition. So think about this downstream because we never no one ever thinks anything downstream, right? Everybody thinks in the moment. So you've got all these 17, 16, 17, 18 year old kids who are on TikTok doing all they want to do. They don't know what they want to do with their lives. There's going to be a percentage of them that in ten years are going to want to be CIA case officers, be in the NSA, be oh. in the FBI, all that kind of stuff. Damn. They're not oh, traveling man. anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. They're not traveling outside Conus because, uh, especially if they're not going to work the China desk in Beijing for the CIA because right. China knows right. who they are. Um, and I was on a new. I was on a uh, Fox Five DC the other day. They were talking about the CEO of TikTok is being grilled by the Congress tomorrow. So. I said, here's a question I hope someone asks. No one will, because I don't think Congress is smart enough to ask this question. But this is the question I would ask to the CEO. If a U.S.-based application did exactly what we're accusing or we think TikTok does, would the Chinese government allow it in its country for its citizens to use? If it knew right. the data was going back for the U.S. to utilize. Right. That, there's, that's, the end of the, that's the end of the question right there yeah. for, for yeah. me. It's that, it's that simple. And of course, it's going to be, you know, you might get met with it's, it should be, but you know, it's not apples to apples, right? Right, um, right. Sure, sure. But yeah, I think that's, to me, that, that question essentially covers the issue. Yeah. Right? And I'm seeing a lot of people that are complaining about, well, Google Alphabet does the same thing and Facebook does the same thing. They don't do the same thing. They do similar things. Yes. They, they have trackers and they track you for advertising purposes. Do they misuse yeah, but, U.S. data? Sure. Are they giving it to the NSA? Not, ideally, not with ideally, play, not but, without a quarter. Play it out. But play, play it out. Even if they did. It's still an American company. Right. Not to be you know, a completely sure. a complete flag waiver, mm-hmm. but. They're not a, a nation state adversary. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And if they do misuse so, it, you can sue them. You can sue them. I right. mean, they're, they're going to drown yeah. you in paper. You're yeah. never going to win, but at least you have the option. Yeah. The option's yeah. there. So yeah, yeah. that's anyway. Yeah. C- CPRA would, um, would provide some, uh, level of protection, I think, yeah. uh, uh, to your, to your point. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Well, sorry to, sorry to throw you down that rabbit hole, but no, 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 it's, um, yeah, that's a whole separate pod. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I've, I've, I've had many of them. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, what I'm thinking of doing, I need to find, get like you and Donna and Denise and a couple other people and have yeah. like a have like a head, a cyber headquarter roundtable 
and just yeah, like a it, little fireside chat. Right, it'll mean nothing to anybody else who listens, yeah. but for, the, for, for it'll be cathartic yeah. for all of us. We could talk That'd about Trent. We could talk fun. about Ray. We could talk yeah. about all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah, we could just throw a little recorder <laughs> on the table and have a happy hour. Yeah. All right, man. Hey, I appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Uh, if anything I, it, anything I can do for you, let me know. Um, for those listening, go check out Trident Group. If you're a small, medium business and you need VCISO or you need pen testing, yeah. they got the services. Go find them. And that's tried in without a T on the end. So tried right. in. Yep, I was trying to, I was trying to do it without the T. You were saying it correctly, yep. but I just didn't want anybody to, yep. you know, naturally go to tried in. It's tried in group. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Darren. All right. Thanks, John. All right, buddy. So once again, I want to thank John Carruthers for taking the time out of his busy schedule to come on and talk to me on on this podcast. Um, hopefully, we can maybe have him back in the future to to talk other topics and maybe um, have a have that roundtable I talked about with other FBI. Uh, retired agents to talk about our time in cyber when when cyber was still new in the bureau back in the early 2000s. So let's go now to the get cyber smart portion of the podcast. I'm throwing a little background music here since I paid for someone to create this background music for that part of the podcast. So this part of the Cyber Guy podcast will be your quick little educational look into this crazy thing that we call cyber. So let's get right into the get cyber smart piece for this week, which is the um, what is happening with TikTok. So let's be honest, if you are uh, a regular follower to this podcast, first of all, thank you. Um, but you know where I usually stand or where I come down on TikTok. I'm almost like the town crier on LinkedIn when it comes to TikTok, because let's be honest, I talk about it a lot and I talk about it with people a lot, uh, but largely because let's be honest, there is a interesting take on TikTok within the information security world. I've seen this. I saw this on LinkedIn this week because of the CEO of TikTok coming to talk to Congress. Uh, and so there are people that think, well, what TikTok does is the same as what Google and Facebook and Instagram and Alphabet, rather Alphabet is Google, uh, and Apple all do with your data. And well, I will grant you that some of the data that all of them collect is similar in nature. Here is my thought on on why it's different, and it's not an apples to apples comparison. And now th- this comes from twenty years working cybersecurity and counterintelligence um, p- programs for the FBI, and seeing it from a classified perspective, and seeing what exactly China's doing with data, what their plans are, how they work, how they do things. They are not looking out for the best interests of the United States. So let's think about that straight off or let's go with it with that that understanding that they it's not like they're saying well hey you know let's we'll we'll be very friendly and do what we can to help out the united states they are certainly not doing that they are looking at what is the best interest of china um, and so i argue that they are not the same as u.s based entities because if u.s based entities misuse your personal data because they give it to the u.s government when they're not supposed to and chances are in most cases i'm not going to say all cases because that would be incorrect but in most cases if the u.s government is requesting your data from a social media company they have some kind of legal process to be able to do that now if they have don't have legal process and they're they're skirting the law to do that then that is a problem and i admit to that i will admit that you are correct on that and if that is the case then there are legal remedies within the United States that you as a citizen can take to deal with that issue. If the government of China wants your personal data from TikTok, all they have to do is say, give us that data. And TikTok is required by a 2017 law within China to do just that. And the CEO of of TikTok essentially noted that they will do that. Uh, He didn't come out and say, no, we do not have to give data. He did not. He certainly didn't necessarily 
say that, oh, yeah, we will certainly um, not give it. They or it didn't come out and say we do give it, but it was implied that that is the case. I mean, there was one interesting question. Now, let's be honest. The Congress folks asking the question don't really understand or know technology, nor should we expect them to. So the ability for them to ask meaningful and useful questions is reasonably limited. All right. It is what it is at that perspective. However, um, there was an interesting question where uh, one of the Congress people asked um, the, the CEO, whose name is Shen Zhao, yeah, um, does the TikTok spy on U.S. citizens? And his answer was, well, I don't know if I'd call it spying. Well, then if that's the case, then certainly you do spy. on. And what I mean by spying, what does that mean? They're taking data that they collect from the app and the trackers that go with the app. And you, when you download TikTok, you download more than just the app. You're downloading trackers as well that do a host of things that we don't really know exactly what those things are. We'd like to think we know, but let's be honest, we do not know what those things necessarily are. Um, and so they're able to take that information uh, and do God knows what with what that tracker gives from your phone, your device, your iPad, wherever you have it. It could be locational data. It could be uh, copying your passwords because it will grab your data from your clipboard. If you copy a password to paste it into a into, um, you know, a, a login, then they can, they can capture that data. And there's a lot of data China has acquired over the years from different data breaches to include OPM, the Office of Personnel Management, Equifax, America, uh, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. There's just tons of data that they already have that, that all this does is tie together with that existing data to give them an idea of certain um, indicators of who you are, what you do, so that if they need to get information from you because of a project you're working for a clear defense contractor, or ultimately you go work for the government within a covert capacity in the national intelligence arena, they have that information they can then use to exploit down the line. They are looking at this from a longer game than just where we are right now. They're looking at this from a, you know, five, 10 years down the road. How can we utilize this data correctly? So I say all that to say that you know, LinkedIn is not our friend. They do not intend to be our friend. They do not want to be our friend, nor should we treat them as the capability that they are acting as our friend and we should utilize their app. There are plenty of other apps that do exactly the same thing that, 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 um, that TikTok does. Uh, Reels from Instagram is one. Yeah, YouTube has YouTube shorts. Now they don't have the same market saturation that TikTok it, it does. I understand that. But that is where TikTok's genius comes in that the Chinese have realized, they realized a gap, they filled it, and now here we are with people dependent on it and thinking that, oh, it's not really a big deal. It's the same as all these other social media apps. It is not the same. No one can convince me otherwise, nor do I think I can convince anyone else otherwise that they are not that they are not the same and that's okay. I mean, we, everybody's going to have different opinions, but that is your quick little look at TikTok. I, I will say have, a, I do have a positive note. My brother called me um, and said that he removed TikTok from his phone. So, so I had one win there and I had a cousin who called and said they did the same thing. So yay, I'm getting some success there where people are actually finding listening and saying, you know, why do I do, I really need this particular application and they are getting rid of it. So, so thumbs up to that. So that is your quick cyber, get cyber smart piece for this week. And with that, I thank you very much for taking the time to listen again to the Cyber Guy podcast. Like I said, I'm like every effort to get a little more regular on putting these podcasts out. If you have thoughts, questions, comments, things I can do better, feel free to email me, Darren at thecyberguy.com. Cyber spelled C-Y-B-U-R. Look for me on LinkedIn. Follow me there. You can hear my interesting thoughts uh, that I talk about, not just TikTok, but other things uh, at LinkedIn. Uh, it's linkedin.com slash I-N slash Darren Mott. So 
Thank you so much for listening. Know that as you go through your week, knowledge is protection. If you understand the threats that are targeting you, you can assess your risk appropriately, and then you can proceed wisely online. Have a good week. We will talk again soon.